This is Warner Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Lewis at Large, smart talk and conversation with talented people from all walks of life. A reminder to subscribe to these Lewis at Large podcasts, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, hey, let others know about it. For context, my conversation with educator and advisor Julie King was held in August 2021. Well, welcome, everybody, to yet another segment of Lewis at Large. Uh, as always, from the flight deck, yours truly, Warner Lewis, and some smart talk and conversation is in your future. And uh, quickly, before we get to our guest for this segment, do want to remind you how you can get a hold of us. Uh, you can email me directly at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, where we are updating uh, guests each week, letting you know who's uh, on the docket for the coming weekend. And, of course, uh, you can also check us out on podcasts, wherever podcasts, however you get those, whatever your method of delivery is for those. And, of course, uh, as always, we have archived uh, issues, or excuse me, segments, rather, of past shows on YouTube as well. So, with all of that taken care of, to the business at hand, uh, we're going to be talking to Julie Kim. She has been educating and supporting parents uh, for many decades, in addition to her work with individual parents and couples. She also has led workshops for numerous schools, nonprofits, and parental groups. She got her undergrad degree at Princeton University and a law degree from the Yale Law School. And we're talking about a new important work called How to Talk to Kids uh, Wait a minute. How to talk when kids won't listen uh, should be an interesting, gigantic subject, one that is on the minds of all of us at some time in our lives. Should be a good one indeed. Julia, how are you, my friend? I'm fine, thanks. Happy to be here. Well, uh, my gosh, uh, I know that children and working with parents is not new to you, but let's, uh, you have a law degree from Yale. What led you uh, into this kind of support work? Well, that's a good question. You can't really quite tell from my degrees, can you? I, if you want to know the whole story of how I got into doing this work, I have to start from when I was six months old, and I promise not to tell you my whole life story. But when I was six months old, I met another little girl named Joanna. Her mother and my mother had just moved into the suburbs of New York, and they around the block from each other, and they became very good friends. And when we were in nursery school together, our mothers studied the work of Haim Gannat, who was a child psychologist, and they would experiment on Joanna and me and our siblings. So we were really guinea pigs for this approach. Her mother ended up co-authoring a series of best-selling books, the most famous of which is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And she also wrote a book called Siblings Without Rivalry, which has been very helpful for parents who have more than one. These, both of her books became New York Times bestsellers. And when Joanna and I, uh, after graduating from high school together, we went off our separate ways and started having kids, we started teaching from her mother's work and doing workshops and giving talks. And when I was first working with parents, uh, I only had young children at the time. So I was working with parents of young children, and they said they love this approach, they love these stories, but they wanted more examples and more stories for just little kids. So I called Joanna and I said, we have to write this book uh, for little kids. We wrote a book called How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, and that book came out about five years ago. And again, people loved the book, they loved the approach, but they had more questions. And she and I ended up collecting a lot of material from the common questions we were getting from our followers 
and we wrote this new book, How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. And the subtitle is Whining, Fighting, Meltdowns, Defiance, and Other Challenges of Childhood, because those are the kinds of questions we were getting. So really tough questions <laughs> when you were trying to raise kids. So I've got to believe uh, when you when you write a book that's titled How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen, has anyone ever come up to you and said, that's interesting, I've never had that problem before? <laughs> you know, I don't know anybody who hasn't had that problem. <laughs> it's universal. Well, okay, let's, uh, let's sort of, I guess, sort of start from 100,000 feet. In, just in general, uh, assuming that when kids uh, won't listen, uh, that probably is century, as long as there have been parents, uh, moms and dads and kids, that's been an issue. Why is it so, why is it so common? And what's, what, is there a common thread there? What is it about kids that inherently think mom and dad don't know what they're talking about? <laughs> that's right. Or we just don't want to do it. You know, kids don't want to be told what to do. In fact, we can just say, in general, people don't want to be told what to do. You know, imagine that you get home from a hard day of work, and you walk in the door, and your spouse says to you, oh, you're home? Good. Hang up your coat. Come on, put your papers away. Maybe they even say, I've got dinner ready for you. Uh-uh, don't touch the computer. Come over here. I, I, what did I say about the computer? <laughs> if your spouse started talking to you about, uh, about trying to get you to come to dinner... Um, you know, and you, your feelings are going to be, wait a second, what, what kind of relationship did I get myself in for? Like, maybe I should just go out for pizza. I think they have a special down at the pizza parlor tonight. You know, people just don't like to be ordered around and told what to do. And kids, just as much as adults. So one of the things that happens is that we expect them to listen. And when we say listen, what do we really mean? We mean behave, do what I say. So... If you want to take the thousand feet view of why this happens, we are sometimes creating the very resistance and working against ourselves. If we pay attention to how our talk makes kids feel, and if we pay attention to how we can help them feel better, there's a connection between how kids feel and how they behave, right? So just as there are for adults. And the way that we talk to them affects how they feel. So if we can make them feel better and make them feel more cooperative, that's half the battle. And one thing we can do to help them feel better is to accept their feelings, which sounds very simple to do in theory, but it can be hard to do in practice because kids have a lot of, let's just say, negative feelings, right? They come home and they say, I don't want to do my homework. It's too hard. And what do we want to say? We want to say, oh, no, honey, it's easy. Here, let me show you. But no kid has gotten satisfaction out of accomplishing a task that other people find is easy. So that doesn't really help. Or we even sometimes want to say, if you spent half the time working on it that you're spending complaining about it, you'd be finished by now. Again, not highly inspiring. <laughs> so what can we say to show this child we understand? Uh, long division can be frustrating. There are so many steps to each problem. It can drive you crazy. When we accept a child's feelings, it gives them the strength to face a difficult task. And it's, it can be very hard to do, as I say, because we just want them to get it done. We think if I just tell them, sit down, just do it, that both of us would feel better. But that just tends to backfire. 
me ask you a question. Do you, uh, and again, um, to the extent that you know and the extent that the research that you've done in your experience, are there necessarily, do, um, do parents in North America on a scale, let's just say, compare them to maybe parents in Europe or in Asia or Africa? Or is this all universal? It doesn't matter where you live, who you are, color of skin, age, all it's all the various different phylums in which we fall. Are, is it all pretty much universal? You know, it's interesting because our first book was translated into 22 languages, and so we've been getting emails from people literally all over the world. Russia, Singapore, Slovenia, India, South Africa, France, I could go on and on. The basic principles are the same. They're universal. Kids don't want to be told what to do, and they want somebody to understand what they're going through. And parents want to help kids feel better, but the strategies that we use can backfire. When we tell them, honey, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal, calm down, we're doing it out of the best of intentions. But rarely does a child who's upset about something, I don't want to go, don't tell me, like, honey, honey, calm down, it's not a big deal. Rarely does a child anywhere in the world say, oh, I didn't realize it's not a big deal. Thanks for letting me know I feel much better now. It just doesn't work that way anywhere in the world. So the principles that we're teaching in our book apply universally. Some of the particulars of how you apply them, of course, will depend on where you live and what's going on in your family. But the principles are universal. Again, if you just joined us, yours truly, Warner Lewis from the flight deck of Lewis at Large, as always, and got a good one going here with uh, educating expert uh, Julie King, who, along with co-author Joanna Fisher, uh, have penned an extraordinary work called How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. Um, So, Julie, draw from your own experience. Um, Do you, well, first of all, if you don't mind sharing, how old are your children now? I have three children. They are 30, 27, and 23. Okay, perfect. Two boys and a girl. Perfect. Drive, dial back 20 years ago. Do you wish you had this <laughs> book 20 years ago to read? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because, like I say, I was raised with this approach. I taught for from it for many years. I wrote the first book for little kids, and yet for me... It takes a lot of self-awareness and presence to be able to stop what I'm doing and pay attention to what's going on for my child. So for me, it's like a regular practice. For me, it was an enormous help to be leading these workshops when my children were younger because it was a time during the week when I would stop and think, what's going on for me and my kids? And what do I want to do differently next time? Because we had a shouting match this morning trying to get everybody out the door to get to school. So... Yes, I I think <laughs> I think it would have been great if somebody had also written it, but since it wasn't written, Joanna Faber and I had to write it ourselves. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, what are your children? Have your children read the book, and what do they think of it? Well, my my daughter is the youngest. She's twenty three now. As we were as we were writing it, she was finishing up college, and of course with the pandemic, she ended up doing part of her college year, uh, final year at home. She edited the manuscript before it was finalized, and I tell you, she loved it. <laughs> she thought it was hilarious. Um, we have a lot of a lot of humor in the book, and um, she she was t- 
telling her friends that even though they don't have kids yet, they should be reading the book. So um, it's got a, it's got a good review from from the next generation in my family. Do you think overall are we? Uh, just in general, uh, again, with the research that you've done, you talked to lots of parents, you talked to lots of different groups. Are we getting better at this, or are we, are our kids turning turning on to adults more, or turning on to us less because they have other resources, like texting with their friends or all the other kinds of social media, other places where people will listen to them and who they want to listen to. You're asking me if 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 kids are do, are better at listening to people who are not their parents. Is that your question? Well, yeah, a little bit, and because maybe because they are able now to communicate far beyond just a dial-up telephone uh, of 30 uh. years ago, they can now they can text, they can see things online, social media, all these ways that they can connect digitally. Does that make the parents' job? giving advice, connecting with her children even harder in, it, in what in essence would be sort of a crowded space? Does the parents have to fight even harder? Well, yeah, the parent. I mean, parents have to just fight for their attention as kids get older. You're talking about kids who have access to screens and right. phones Correct. 24-7. Yep. It's hard just to get their attention. They say, oh, I'm in, uh, you know, I'm busy. I, I, they don't even look up, you know. One of the um, questions I sometimes get is, you know, my son doesn't even listen to me. He doesn't even look at me when I ask him a question. And we need to think about, okay, your son feels like he's in the middle of something. He's texting with his friend. He's watching his video. He's doing his math homework. Who knows what he's doing on the screen, right? And we want to get his attention. We can't just walk in and say, honey, what do you want for lunch? You know, <laughs> he won't even hear us. We need to walk in and... and what I found with my, one of my kids who also would get very, very focused on what he was doing, if I walked in and just said, hey, what do you want for lunch, I would get no response. And that was infuriating. Like, I'm here, I'm offering to get you something, and you're not even acknowledging my presence. What I realized is I don't like it when someone comes and interrupts me. Honestly, I've been doing emails sometimes, and my husband will come and start talking, and I'm like, I don't want to forget this thought I'm having so I can relate to what he's going through. And the question is, okay, so what, what would work better? And what I, dis, what I learned to do was to walk in, knock on the door, and say, hey, Rush, I have a question for you when you're ready. So by saying his name, I would break through somewhat. He would hear that somebody was talking to him. And then the when you're ready is very respectful. And then I would have to wait five or ten seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot of time when I'm talking to you, but... In actuality, it feels like a lot of time to wait before you find out what he wants for lunch. But when I did that, he would look up when he, when he was ready, and he would say, what is it, Mom, in a very respectful tone, and then I could ask him my question, you know, turkey okay. or tuna fish. All right. So without sounding terribly old school, although this will, how do you answer <laughs> someone that says, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're trying to teach young people a variety. Of First of all, you want them to listen. Second of all, you want them to teach them how to really act with not only respect, but also ultimately down the road, be able to engage successfully in society, whether it's work or not, by saying whenever you're ready to talk. Is that not, in fact, enabling someone and you're handing the, quote, power, so to speak, to them when, in fact, they should be answering just out of pure respect? 
How, well, how do well, we respond just, to uh, that, that kind of thought, that thought process? Let me push back on it a little. Okay. You know, when we're That's at fine. home and you're in the middle of doing something, your son's in the middle of doing something, is it your belief that he should stop what he's doing every single time at a, mo- at a moment's notice and answer you? Or, is it, or do we want to teach him respect that when he wants to interrupt somebody who's working, that he give them a little warning, give them a little, uh, give them a, a few seconds to finish their thought and look up. I would suggest that if he's in a work environment where he barges in on her, his boss and says, hey, I need to know the answer to this question right away, he's going to be in trouble. So what we're doing is we're modeling how to have a respectful conversation with somebody when you're both trying to accomplish something, when you're both just in the middle of, of life. So, yes, I think my kids actually learned that if I came in and I said, I need to interrupt you right away. I need to know the answer. I can't, I can't wait till you're finished. This is urgent. That they would look up and they would answer me because I have treated them with respect so much of the time. When I say this, this time I need you to look up right away, they would. That makes sense. Okay. Well said. Well said. Uh, <laughs> no, that, no, that makes, makes a lot of sense. I, here's another uh, question for you. Is there necessarily a difference in response time or willing to listen or not listen uh, between uh, females and males? Is there any difference there? Or are they all, in essence, the same? I think there's just a re- difference response time in, between you know one individual and another. I can't say I've done a study about response time based on gender, but uh, I can tell you that there are kids who have more or less difficulty shifting attention. Now I'm thinking about kids who are differently wired. If you have a kid who has ADHD or who's on the autism spectrum, for example, it can be much more difficult for them to shift their attention, and they're not doing it to be difficult. They're not being oppositional. It literally is more difficult for them to shift their attention from one thing to another. And it's, it can be more challenging for younger children as kids get older. It can get easier for them to do. So I think there are definitely differences between children. And it's if, if you're trying to figure out for your own child, I don't think it's helpful to know how they compare to other kids. I think it's just helpful to know that they, they need the time need. And sometimes you're going to try to push them. And it can be stressful on kids to shift attention faster than they're ready. So it's good, just a good idea to be aware of that because we do need to shift them from one thing to another. We also have, just to give you another idea, uh, for young children, when we need to get them, let's just say we're trying to get them out the door and they're in the middle of playing, it's, it's a challenge to get, if you've ever tried to get a, a young child to stop playing and do something they don't want to do, like get in the car, but, you know, buckle up in the car seat. One thing that we can do is to make the transition playful. So kid who's playing, I did this with my kids when they were young. When they were playing and it was time to get them in the car because I had to drive them to school, I'd say, let's pretend we're getting in a train. And the trains, you know, we have a caboose, we have an engine. Who wants to be in the engine? Who wants to be the caboose? And then we would literally chugga, 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 chugga. We'd still walk just as fast to the car, but we're pretending we're a train. We'd get in the car. Well, I'm still chugga, chugga, chugging with them as we drive to school. We're chugga, chugga, chugging into the into the classroom. What I did was I eliminated the transition. I just made the whole thing one, one long story. And that was a way to engage their cooperation in what I needed them to do, which was to actually get into the car and go. Um, and to join with them 
instead of instead of just scolding them, hey, it's t- put that t- uh, 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 put it down. It's time to get in the car. You know, that kind of talk just wears everybody down. Julie, you've been doing this kind of work for a long time. Uh, this is not your first rodeo, so to speak. I'm, I'm curious as to, and you look back on the project of how to talk when kids won't listen. Um, what what was sort of for you, was there was there a sort of, a, maybe not startling, but was there a major revelation? Was there a major thought process shift maybe you had or mindset shift? And to you, what's the big sort of crowning takeaway from all of this? You know, one of the mind shifts for me was realizing that I had stories in my head about what kids should do. They should stop when I say stop. They should put their shoes on when I say put your shoes on. And um, that that saying these things out loud was not helpful. You know, when I want them to calm down, when, I want, when I'm thinking this is not a big deal, to tell them that was not helpful. So if I could catch myself, and we talk about this in our book, this is one of the new ideas that we've introduced in this newest book is to notice the story that you tell in your head and the words that you feel like saying that are not helpful. And if you can catch yourself, say them to yourself maybe, but don't say them out loud. It can be enormously helpful. What you don't say is just as important as what you do say. Well, again, uh, this is a good one. How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen uh, by Joanna Faber and Julie King. Uh, what did I say? Joanna Fisher earlier, I think I said that. That's uh, my bad, as they Faber. say. Julie, uh, man, you've got a lot of things out there. First of all, how can people pick up a copy of this? And also, uh, you've got a lot of, again, work in your past. What about uh, the ability for them to check the workout and the website, possibly, or the way to connect with you? Sure. Sure. The book is available wherever books are sold. It's available as paperback, Kindle, audiobook, hardcover, whatever format you want. If you want to learn more about the work that I've been doing and the work that Joanne and I do together, you can go to our website. It's how-to-talk.com. So it's the words how to talk with dashes in between, how-to-talk.com. And if people are interested, we wrote a bonus chapter that's not in the book because it's not exactly within the scope of the topic, how to talk when kids won't listen. But we wrote a bonus chapter on how to talk when your parenting partner won't listen because we get a lot of questions about that, too. So we have that available for free. If you purchase the book, go to our website, how-to-talk.com, and you can get uh, get the bonus chapter. Okay. Well, everybody, go grab a copy, uh, put it to good use, and uh, give us some feedback. And, Julie, when you come back on again, we'll uh, share some of the results on our end. How about that? (laughs) I would love it. That would be fantastic. Okay. (laughs) Listen, thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. And, again, seriously, we'd like to have you back on again. Great. Just let me know. You bet. Hey, we'll be back with more right after this on Lewis at Large. Hey, Julie, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your your good questions. Oh, thank you. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this installment of Lewis at Large. We add new conversations every week, and we like hearing from you. You can contact us via email at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. That's warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. And you can find out more at lewisatlarge.com or on the Lewis at Large Facebook page. And remember to subscribe to Lewis at Large. Check out Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. 
Now go have a great day.